All right, who's excited to be here today? All right, half of you, good. That's awesome. We'll pray for the other half of you. I'm excited to be here and, and because I, I'm, I'm excited about what I get to share about today because it's been something that's uh, become very real and true in my life. And so I, I've said this before, sometimes, sometimes in my life I get to preach what I believe, sometimes in my life I get to preach what I know. And this is one of those things I know and experience. How, how many of you would say that you believe, even if you don't know about, you know, church and Christianity and God and this whole thing, how many would say you believe God has a plan for, for your life? I would agree with that. Okay, is there any part then of your life that you feel like gets excluded from that plan? And think about that. But, and the reason I ask that question is because I think there are a lot of people in this world who struggle at times piecing together God's plan for their life, and yet they so easily say that I believe that God has a plan for my life, but yet there's certain areas of their life that they have trouble trusting that God actually has a plan for that area of my life. You know, so which one gets left out? Is it relationships? Is it money? Is it job? Is it health? Is it, well, the truth is, no, those don't get left out. If I believe God has a plan for my life, then I believe that plan encompasses every area of my life. And sometimes, like I said, we, we get convinced that, well, you know, I have this spiritual life, and then I'm going to say it this way because I think sometimes we think it, and then there's real life, you know? And sometimes people think of it that way. They go, well, you know, I've got my faith, but then I've got to go out and live real life. And they don't see that it actually relates to one another, and they come together. Here's the truth, guys. There's a foundational truth. It's in Scripture. It's from the words of Jesus himself in John 10, 10, there is a truth here. God wants me to live life to the fullest. God wants me to have life in the fullest. That is the truth. When God created mankind, he created all the world, and he said, go and subdue the earth and live and, and do these things. He gave us everything that he has, and he desires that we experience life to the fullest. Now, we may know that that's true about God, and then we may look at our life or the lives of those around us and we realize that there are some things that are keeping us from experiencing life to the fullest. I don't think any of us would argue with that. And today I want to talk about money because money is one of those areas in life that destroys just about as many relationships and people and things as anything else that this world has ever thrown our way. And the Bible is not silent on the topic. The Bible speaks to it a lot. It is one of the most talked about subjects in the Bible, actually. And so what happens sometimes is immediately when you come to church and you hear the pastor say, we're talking about money, everybody begins to cringe and go, oh, we're going to talk about money. But the truth is God has a plan for your life. He wants you to live life to the fullest. And one of the things that I see happening in our world today is that money is destroying lives and keeping people from living life to the fullest. Because we, we think that I've got the spiritual life and then real life over here, well, God doesn't necessarily help me over here in real life, but we haven't learned how to put these things together. God, God is not silent about our money. When people, it's destroying churches, is that we live in a culture where people spend more than they make on themselves and then they have not enough money to even take care of themselves, much less to be generous to other people or to plan for a future or to do anything else. 
And so we're, we're living in slavery to the things that we've put on credit or put out there in front of ourselves. And that keeps us from accomplishing what God wants us to in our life. It keeps the church from doing that because the truth is we spend so much on ourselves that we don't have anything left to give to the church. And then the church can't accomplish its mission at times. And I'm talking about Big C Church. I'll talk about us in just a minute. Because then we have to go to other things and other organizations to help accomplish things that the church should be doing in the first place. And then let's just be honest. Sometimes we don't want to give to church because we've watched broken churches and broken places with broken people in charge do bad things with these things. And so the whole thing seems to be messed up. It's very touchy. And I don't like to talk about it. But the truth is, if we don't learn how to handle it, then it's going to destroy us. So I want to kind of set the table. I absolutely love talking about this subject. And there's a reason I love talking about this subject. It's because when I was growing up, we didn't talk about it. And so for about the first 35 years of my life, I'm just going to be honest, I was an idiot when it came to these type of things. I was the most foolish human being when it came to finances and money. And I will tell you, I was also a self-righteous tither. Because I'm a good Baptist. I've been going to church since before I was born, if you know what I mean. And when I started having an income, I, I, I would give my 10%. Now, I, I believe from the bottom of my heart, a tithe is 10% of my gross income that gets given to the church that I participate in. That's, that's a tithe to me. There, I said it, okay? So take a deep breath, and we'll be all right after that. And here's what my attitude about money was. I gave my 10% to God, and I get to do whatever I want to with the rest of it. And I was broke and unhappy. Because I was going, well, God, I gave you your 10%. Why, why can't I do this? Because I had a poor attitude and a misunderstanding toward money. And so let me just go ahead and let us take a breath. I love talking about this because First Baptist Church is a generous church. If you look inside your bulletin today, that's our, that's our budget for next year. And so we're looking at our budget for next year. And the reason I give that to you today is because I want you to understand that because of the generous gifts that people give this church, we make a plan for the money that's going to come in that will further God and fully loved by God. And the rest accomplish our vision of being a place where people discover that they're fully known and fully loved by God. And the reason I give you that today is not to beg you to give to it, but to you to, for you to understand that when you give to the church, we have a plan for it. And our plan is to accomplish the vision that God has given us as a church. That's what we want to do. I love to stand up here today and tell you this, that this year our church has given more than what we asked for in the budget, so we've been able to do more than what we plan to do this year. Amen. What an awesome thing. So hear me. Should you give to the church? Everybody say yes. Okay, so we get that out of the way. But I'm not up here to beg you to give to the church. I'm up here to let you know that our church has a plan for the generous gifts that get given because we want to accomplish God's vision and God's mission in our life of a church. And I want to ask you this question. Do you have a plan for the resources and the money that God has given you personally to accomplish the will of God in your life and to experience the vision and the plan that God's given you personally? Because if you don't, you're going to fail. And there's a reason that we fail on those things. And the reason we, we get all worked up about money at times is because we don't know how to handle it and we have a wrong attitude toward it. And we live in a world that tells us and we just get all discombobulated. You've got to have this to live or you've got to have that to live. And if you don't have one of those things, it's this. 
and we just get all discombobulated about that. But God's Word speaks to it. And here's what God's Word says about it. The big picture, I'm going to tell you the big picture, then we're going to read some scriptures on it. The big picture in the Bible is this, that God wants us to be generous managers. What does that mean? Generous managers. It means that the better manager that I am with the things that God has given me, then the more that God will give me to manage. And before we get sidetracked and thinking that I'm up here talking about prosperity theology, let me be real clear. Prosperity theology is a lie, and those people will have to pay for teaching that to people one day when they stand before a righteous God because it's false. There's not some formula where this happens, but there is a truth that happens in Scripture, and it's actually a truth that happens in life. If you get put in charge of something at your job and you do good at it, do you think they're going to put you in charge of more things? Yes. It's a biblical model. If what we have been given, we manage well, we usually get more things to manage. If what we have been given, we manage poorly, we don't get more things to manage. That's the biblical model here. And the goal is that God wants us to be generous managers. And so I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Here's what it says. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a giver. And God is, I'll write you a check. Yeah, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need endures forever. There's a lurk. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. There's a lot in three verses there. I just want to catch it real quick. First of all, if I manage sparingly, hoarding it all to myself and keeping it all to me, then I will reap sparingly. I won't have anything. And I'm just going to tell you, the business model in Scripture makes no business sense. And I've watched so many businessmen struggle with spiritual things because it doesn't add up to the bottom line. God's bottom line is about life and souls and his kingdom, not your pocketbook. And so that's what we need to understand. Is that when you understand it that way, it begins to make sense. The person who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. The world tells us we got to save it all up and keep it to ourselves. But no, you'll reap sparingly if you do that. But the person who sows generously, who manages generously, will also reap generously. Look at verse 7 so that you understand something. I'm not going to give you a model today. I'm going to talk to you about some plans. But I'm not going to give you a way to do this because look at what verse 7 says. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. So I'm not up here as the pastor to tell you how you're supposed to do this. Do I believe in the tithe? Obviously I do. I believe that God puts you in a church home because you're supposed to give to support that church home. But I don't think that's it. I think God wants us to be generous beyond our tithe as well. And we're never going to do that if we don't have a plan for it. But each person should do as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly. All right, pastor said so, so i got to write a check. 
and not out of compulsion. Oh my gosh, she's giving on giving and I, I better give some money. Okay? Let me talk to you about compulsion. Six weeks from today, we're going to have Christmas. It happens every year. It's on the 25th of December, for those who might not be aware of that. And what typically happens about this time of year is we all, all of us think about this, go, ooh, I really would like to get somebody a gift. Why? Because God wired us to be generous managers. But if we haven't managed well, what we typically do is we come to Christmas and we go, I can't really afford this, but I'm going to get this for somebody because I don't want to be embarrassed about not having anything to give. And we pay for Christmas until next Christmas, and then we don't have enough Christmas for that. That's compulsion. And it gets you in a hole that you can't get out of. And that's not how this is supposed to work. We're not supposed to give reluctantly or out of compulsion. We're supposed to have a plan for this. We're supposed to manage it. And then it says, look at these words, God is able. It doesn't say God will. It says God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Let me just have a little moment of confession for you. When God began to teach me about money from Scripture, not just my, and I'm going to say it again, not just my self-righteous tithing. And this is what I mean by that. I seriously had the attitude that I gave my tithe, I get to do whatever else I want. And God showed me that I had the wrong attitude toward money. And so that's why I say that about myself. I'm not calling you that. I'm saying that was me. And I'm trying to share with you my testimony that may help. This is what I began to understand is that God is able to make every grace abound in my life. And here's what he demonstrated to me. When I started doing the right things with money as he wanted me to do, listen to me very carefully, he did not give me more money. He showed me that I already had enough, I just mismanaged it. Can I just tell you that? And without having more, and if I were to be honest with you, um, there was a point in my life when I made more money than I make today. But yet I'm still able to be generous because I'm a better manager of the resources that God has given me. And so that's what I want. It's my desire for everyone to have that experience in their life. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, instruct those who are rich in the present age. Now some of you just went, I'm out. No, no, no. That's not, that's not your out there. So instruct those who have things in this present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with what? Read that with me. All things to enjoy. God gives us all things, not just all things, all things to enjoy. God wants you to live life to the fullest, but to do that you have to manage it well. He says in verse 18, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up a treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, look at this, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. We live in a culture that confuses true life with prosperity, and that's not truly life. True life comes in knowing and following God and seeing that every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so here's why I want to talk about this this morning. One, because Christmas is coming. Um, two, because the major thing is this. A key to life is my attitude about money. Guys, I've seen money destroy people. I, I, I've seen families torn apart 
because of money. I've seen marriages dissolve because of money. And yet we're scared to talk about it in the church sometimes because what happens is usually when I start opening my mouth about money, what people in the pew start thinking is, well, the pastor just wants more of our money. Listen to me. I want you to get what God's word says about money, and then I want you to live that out because that's the path to life. That's what I want from you. That's what I want from you, period. So a key to life is my attitude about money. How you think about money, how you handle money will greatly impact your life. And the amount of income is irrelevant to your attitude. I promise you, the amount of income is irrelevant to your attitude. You probably can say the same thing. I know people who have a tremendous amount of income but struggle to survive because they're not good managers. And I know people who have a small amount of income and who do quite well and are quite happy. And so the goal is generous management. If I manage a little well, I'll be entrusted with more to manage. If I stop managing it well, then it goes away. So there's a bottom line when it comes to spiritual things and money. And I, I took this quote from Andy Stanley because I think he just, he just says it as plain as it can be said. This is the truth about it. I am either owned by wealth and using God, or I'm owned by God and using wealth. And we're just going to let that sink in for a little bit. I'm either owned by my wealth and trying to get more of it and trying to figure this out, and my spiritual walk is me even trying to figure out how to manipulate God to give me more things or how to work this system so that it works out in my favor, or I'm owned by God and I'm using my wealth to further his kingdom and to accomplish the vision for my life that he has for me. If I say that I believe that God has a plan for my life, what area is left out? No area is left out. And so if my trust is in God, then I get to use everything that I have to accomplish his plan. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The point of your life can't be to pursue God and money. You have to choose one or the other. And one leads to life, and one leads to death. And so the truth about money for all of our lives is this. It's either going to be a distraction or a discipline in my life. Money's either going to be a great distraction or a great discipline. Now, discipline's one of our favorite words, isn't it? We love to talk about discipline. No, we don't, but it's, I, I couldn't figure out a, a more clear way to say this. Either money is going to be a distraction to us. It's going to be all that we think about because we either have so much of it that we're scared to lose it or so little of it that we wish we had more. And it's just going to distract us about everything. I wish I had one of these. I can't do this. Or I'll have one of these. It's just a distraction. Or it's a discipline. What do I mean by a discipline? A discipline means I learn how to manage what I have. And I do with it today what I'm supposed to. Which leads me to do with it tomorrow what I'm supposed to. Which leads me to do tomorrow. And as I learn to discipline myself with it, then it begins to become what it's supposed to be. Now, some of you have commented and noticed, and I use this as an illustration, not to point something to myself, but okay, about June, I just started, I decided to start the discipline of watching what I eat. And 20 pounds later, here I am, okay? Not in one day, <laughs> not in one day. I had to do this discipline of saying, I'm gonna do these things right. And then they bring about results over time. Not compulsion, not reluctant, but discipline. 
And so the same thing is true with our, with our money, is if you would be honest enough to say perhaps you're in the place today, if you think I'm just talking to all the adults in the room, I'm just going to tell you something. The earlier you can figure this out in life, if you think I'm just talking to all the adults in the room, I promise you the better off you're going to be, period. Because if you get this right early, then you'll be in a much better. I'm going to live my life not focused on money, but focused on God. And I'm going to use the money he's given me to accomplish his. 12, Jesus says these words. He told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. I told you the Bible says a lot about money. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store all of my crops? Where am I going to put all my money? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. I'll store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God wants me to be a generous manager. When he pours out his blessings on my life, they're not for me to store up for myself. They're for me to continue to be generous with those and to follow his will and to accomplish his will in my life. Because the truth for every single person in this room is no matter how much you accumulate in this life, the day that you take your last breath, all that stuff becomes somebody else's. And so if you want the joy of being able to be a generous manager and and find that joy in giving, then you need to manage it that way in this lifetime, not in the next lifetime. Because you don't get to take it with you. So let's talk about how we do this. We need to have a path to generosity. So what is my path to generosity? Because that's the goal of a Christian. We're not here talking about tithing. We're not here talking about giving. We're talking about generosity. Because a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things that should reflect in their life is that they are a person of generosity and that God loves a cheerful giver. So what does that look like, person in your life? I'm going to show you what to how you can accomplish becoming a generous person in your life. I'm going to show you what Scripture says about it. And the first one, you might think, I, I, don't, know, I don't know that that's the best first step, Lendl. But I'm going to promise you it is. So here's step one of your path to generosity. You ready? Start giving now. Start giving now. Because I promise you, when I first started learning this concept, and I looked at all the things that I had done in my life and how I'd mismanaged money and the place that I'd gotten myself, and I understood what God wanted me to actually do with money, and I looked at the gap that was between those two, I thought, I don't know that I can give. I don't know how I can do that. So I'm going to just tell you something. You can live that excuse for as long as you want, or you can just start giving now. Because God's not about a business plan. He's about a kingdom plan. And he wants to change your heart, not your pocketbook. And the thing that's going to keep you from seeing that is when you continue to make excuses about why you can't do the things that he's called you to do. And so I promise you, you start giving now, you begin to change your heart and your attitude. here's, Here's some of the things that helped me along the way. I don't have a lot, but I've got something that I can give. So I would I would take like five dollars and go, okay, five bucks. I'm gonna shoot five dollars. I'm gonna look for a way to to give that to someone today. Because remember, I was already tithing. 
So I was giving to the church. God wasn't trying to work on my heart about giving to the church. He was trying to work on my attitude about money and how it had a hold of me. And so that $5 that I could have spent on my coffee or, or my Whataburger or my son, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this one up. We're going we're gonna to do something else with this. And I just began to go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this. And very addictive. To tell you something about giving, it becomes very addictive. Very addictive. When you discipline yourself to be in such a place that you have planned to be generous to people, first of all, God gives you those opportunities. And second of all, it changes your life. It is one of the most wonderful things that you can ever be a part of is being that conduit through which God begins to bless other people, whether it's a dollar or $100,000. It doesn't matter. That feeling is the same. So start giving now. Jump in on the joy of giving. Don't make an excuse. Make a plan. This is what Mark chapter 12 says about this. Jesus, sitting across from the temple treasury, watched as the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped two tiny coins in worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. For they gave out of their surplus, but she gave out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. See, we like to think that, well, one day when I have enough, I'm going to give a lot to people. That's just not true. If you're not doing it now, money just magnifies who you are. And if you're not having that discipline in your life now, you're not going to have it then. You're going to find some other excuse of why it can't happen then. So you want to change your heart now. And the way you become a generous giver is you start to give. Start to give. Find a way to do that. And then as you do that, what's going to help you is if you learn to do this, manage my lifestyle. If I can manage my lifestyle, what do I mean? Look at the words of Paul, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. He was talking to the church, commending them for their generosity. And then he says, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little And I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And this was the secret. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Because it's about his will and his way. And what I have to manage at that point in time is up to him. And so I've learned to be content in my relationship with Christ, not find my contentment in the amount of things that I do or do not have at that moment. I said I'd give you a little bit of a plan. I want to give you a starting point goal. Not a starting point as in, because I understand some people, myself, had put themselves in such a hole that they couldn't necessarily do this right. But it's that 10, 10, 80 plan with. Not to end with, but to start with. Perhaps you've already heard of it, but it's that 10, 10, 80 plan. Okay? If you want to do this path toward generosity, 10, 10, 80, what does that mean? That means I I plan that for 10% of my income is going to be given. And that 10% of my income is going to be saved to live on 80% of my income for what I might need in in the future. And then I'm going to learn to live on 80% of my income. Now I'm going to just go ahead and tell you because some of you are immediately going, I just can't do that. I can't do that. It took me about a month to figure it out. 
Because my first thing was, I don't know that we can do that. And then you start looking and going, oh, well, maybe I'm mismanaging that. Hmm, perhaps I could do without that. Oh, wow, maybe, maybe that works. And to be what, well, I'll, I'll just be even more transparent with you. Some of the things that I felt like, I'm never going to get this back. It's amazing that when you start managing money, how all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, we can have two of those if we wanted to now because we're actually managing this correctly. So you have to have a plan. Live to learn the way that you want with what you currently have. Don't take the excuse of, well, one day if I can do this, I'm going to, no, just live like you're supposed to live now. Manage what you have now, and guess what? Perhaps God will see fit to let you manage more. Don't believe the lie that the solution to the problem is just more money. Because if you don't manage it, it doesn't help. It just magnifies. As a matter of fact, if you're a child of the 90s, the notorious B.I.G. taught you this, more money, more problems. Okay? I'm just telling you all this. See, thank you. Some of the first service just kind of went right over their head. I just want you to know that. We got our younger crowd in here today. All right? But it's a truth. It, it, money just magnifies what's going on. And if, if you aren't doing well with it with a little and you have more of it, you know what's going to happen? You're just going to not do well with more of it. And so that's the truth here. All right? So you have to manage your lifestyle, and then hear me on this, you have to plan for the future. You do have to plan for the future. And when I say that, immediately, some people are thinking, yeah, one day when I want to retire, one day when, no, 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 the future is tomorrow. If you want to be a generous person, what are you going to do tomorrow to be a generous person? What are you going to do this week to be a generous person? What are you going to do this next month, this next year, this next decade? Because God can transform things, saving up for the future as well. But your plan for generosity starts now. That's when you need to be having those plans for what God is doing. And so when you learn to do the right thing every day, one day at a time, you begin to see results. You start now. You start today doing the things that God has for you. You know, and then something can happen to so many. You know, one of the store up a lot of things for yourself, but you become a blessing to so many. You know, one of the things, I'll just point out, one of the things that happens in, in our church is because of the generosity of so many people, we get to participate. And one of the things that I, I think you would want to be in on is how can I help further that? Because there's, you ever gone to a birthday party and you don't have a gift? It's just a weird feeling because you just try to hide behind everybody and go, hey, you got a gift. That's awesome. But if you've gone to the party and you've gone and you've gotten the person a gift and they're about to open your gift, what are you doing? You're like, hey, I'm coming up to the front of the line. What's, what's going on here? Yep, I did that. My gift, my gift, my gift. I did that. You like that? I like that. And so think about it. So many times we're not here just to participate and, and, and not give. We're here to be all in. And so, again, I told you, I'm not asking for your money. I'm inviting you to find life that comes in being a generous giver. And I will even say this. I've told people this before. If you're just getting started and you don't want to give to our church, fine. But give somewhere. Do it. Now, do I think that's wrong? Yeah. But, hey. But I'm going to let you start at least learning the joy of giving somewhere, and we'll let God work on the rest of correcting the heart because more than anything, God has given us all things richly 
to enjoy. The whole thing is his. He gives us a piece to manage. When we manage it well, he gives us more to manage. And in that miracle, we get the joy of being a person who is a generous giver and manager that blesses other people. And if we do it well, imagine the amount of people that could be blessed because of you. If you manage it really well, they can even be blessed by you long after you're gone. I mean, those things actually do happen. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 2. Now about the collection for the saints. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches on the first day of the week today. Each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he's prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. The Bible speaks to how we're supposed to give to the kingdom of God. And as I said earlier, As he was talking to Timothy, these words were just true. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. It's not about your pocketbook. It's about your heart. And God wants you to experience life to the fullest. And if there's been a struggle that's been going on while I'm talking, I promise you it's not my words as much as it is our attitude toward it and perhaps what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you because God has a plan for your life and he wants what's best for you. And if you will pursue God and find the life that he has for you, then money will fall into place and perspective in such a way that you will be a huge blessing to other people. I mean, just think about it simply, guys. If I have worked hard and earned money and I give it to someone and invest in that person, I expect them to do something with it, and they're not doing with it what I think is best, what am I going to do with my money? I'm going to take it back from that person, and I'm going to go find somebody who will, right? We're all going to do that. Well, look at what Psalm 24.1 says. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. It's all his. Am I managing what he's given me, and am I experiencing life because of it? Do I have true life?